Welcome back to the podcast series Unplugged in St Kilda. We've been going back to the 1970s, 80s and 90s and talking to musicians who lived and played in St Kilda during those times. They've been sharing their memories of the area, what influenced them and how the place impacted their music. I'm Sally Moore and I'm really looking forward to chatting with today's guest. While known mostly for his role in The Beasts of Bourbon and The Cruel Sea, His passion for music has taken him across a wide range of musical styles, creating ideas and bringing them to life as either a soloist or with a host of other talented Aussie musicians. He's won six ARIA awards and been in the industry for 40 years. Welcome to the show, Tex Perkins. (laughs) Thanks, Sally. That was a wonderful introduction. (laughs) Thank you. And this makes the next question very difficult. Full of facts, full of of stats Full of stats, yep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, so, Tex, usually I start with asking our guests to summarise their musical career for Well, I us. think you've done it for me. But, uh, <laughs> yes, 40 years is the big... Uh, <laughs> it's not... Yeah, I guess it's technically true. Um, yeah, technically 80, about that. 82 is when I started um, oh, being in band. So, yeah, yeah sometime yeah. in 82. I can't remember the month, but yes, <laughs> technically this is... So we may is, have made it to This 40. is my 40th year in, in the biz, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that puts it in a bit of perspective, doesn't it? But uh, I guess it wasn't really... I didn't see it as a biz um, when I... I think I'd been playing in, in bands and in music for about... Ten years before I realised, oh, this is what I do. Yeah. <laughs> because um, I don't know when well, the way I fell into it was um, uh, by accidental inv- invitation. I didn't. I uh, I was deeply immersed in music. Um, our household, as I was growing up. Always had music in it, and there was there were, f- there were about four different um, aesthetics that I was surrounded with, and uh, it, was, it was my parents mainly. My parents mainly my mother, I guess, and she was a uh, she loved Perry Como and uh, Val Doonigan and uh, things like that. Um, didn't like that Frank Sinatra, <laughs> so, so you know, like the crooner, but nothing sort of too jazzy. Or, oh, very you know, specific taste. Yeah, quite a Catholic state taste. <laughs> um, my brother, my youngest older brother, he had fairly mainstream tastes, and he liked um, the Bee Gees and. Um, 70s BGs, or oh, 60s BGs, 70s BGs, um, the Eagles, um, Elton John, big on Elton John, um, and a bit of Neil Young. Uh, my other brother liked um, old rockabilly. He loved Jerry Lee Lewis. Uh, he loved Gene Vincent. But he also was very immersed in the punk scene and uh, and around 76, 77, I, again, all this music is sort of happening in the house and, and there wasn't people, there wasn't a stereo in each person's room. The stereo was central, oh, central. to the house. So like, 
So um, yes, listen to each other's. Yes, <laughs> inevitably favorites. it would. You know, even if you weren't sitting there listening to it, it would you'd hear it at a distance. And uh, but yeah, my other brother was into the punk thing, so I'd I'd hear you know the Velvet Underground and the Stooges and the Sex Pistols and the Damned and all those the Modern Lovers, Brian Eno. Wow, um, very varied. Yeah, um, and. He had one Rolling Stones album, <clears throat> and it was Sticky Fingers, yeah, the real, um, the real dirty dark one, <laughs> with with all the uh, drug references. So, um, and then there was uh, my sister, who was a bit of a hippie, and she liked Ravi Shankar and Bob Dylan and uh, Donovan. So there was that. So that. Yeah, right. So the, so these are the aesthetics that I was surrounded by. With, and I think they've all seeped into me in some way. Yeah, yeah. Mainly the, I guess the my brother that was into the punk scene was the most useful to me. You know, entering into the music you know, scene, mm. f- especially because <laughs> not only did I rec- listen to his records, especially when he was, well, like, see, I was hearing these records when I was a 12-year-old when they came out, but as the time I was a 15-year-old, I was going, mm, mm, I think I might actually put this on myself and have a listen. Yeah. And uh, he had a lot of great clothes as well, <laughs> <laughs> like great, you know, op shop clothes, you know, like from like the 50s and 60s. Right. And, um, you know, great wardrobe, which I basically... Inherited <laughs> without his permission. Yeah. <laughs> he actually worked uh, as a, I think he was working for telecom at the time, and he was off digging ditches, laying cables for telecom across the country. So he was away for many, many months at a time. He didn't have to know. <laughs> and around in the you know, 1980, yeah, I started to, uh, yeah wear his clothes and listen to his records <laughs> and then, yeah, present myself, uh, you know, to the uh, the world, you know, the the, the very tiny uh, alternative music scene mm. in Brisbane in, in 1980, wearing my brother's Robert, Robert's clothes. So thanks, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, and how did you actually get into playing in Oh, Netflix? yes. Well... <clears throat> so I was just going to these gigs in these wonderful clothes <laughs> <laughs> and perhaps I stood out a little bit. Um, I remember being given uh, – I'd moved out of home by now. Um, I remember being given a a sleeping pill um, for some reason um, – I was at an impressionable, impressionable age, and I was, <clears throat> yeah, had my mouth open, and yeah, put this. In. <laughs> For some reason, I uh, was given a Serapax, and uh, and then we went out. Mm. And of course, I don't, rem- yeah, <laughs> I don't feel truly responsible for for, <laughs> for for my actions from that point on. Alcohol and sleeping pills, and walking around in public, and in. Uh, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> so, 
cut a long story short, I made an absolute spectacle of myself, you know, <laughs> shameful spectacle of myself. You know, I wasn't particularly sort of um, horrible to people but I was just, you know, walking in, you know, you know, tipping over tables, fell down some stairs, just an absolute <laughs> nice mess. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, shouting at the band, you know, making a scene, you know, just sort of, Shouting encouragement to the band, but encouragement that they didn't really appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I made an absolute ass of myself. Mm-hmm. And then a few weeks later I was at some other venue and um, these two young fellas came up to me and said, you were that guy at the pork gig, weren't you? And I said, oh, Yeah. Would you like to start a band with us? <laughs> so That's based great. on based on my ability to fall downstairs <laughs> <laughs> and wear you know, uh, <clears throat> uh, pretty top notch um, uh, borrowed <laughs> uh, op shop clothes, skill. op shop yeah. clothes. Uh, I was invited to start a band with these guys, and they were the Wadley brothers. That was Greg Wadley and Ian Wadley. And, uh, yeah, um, that was the first time I'd, I didn't, yeah, they didn't know I could sing. I didn't know I could sing or, but they knew I could present. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which is very important. That was how, that's how that that began, yes. I understand you, uh, I think you moved to Sydney sort of soon after you started in bands. Yes, it was. It was always an uphill battle in Brisbane to to get a gig. Uh, we did all right because um, Greg Wadley seemed to be well connected for some reason, and um, we got we got um, yeah, as as many gigs as you could in Brisbane. And also, uh, we would put gigs on ourselves. We would hire a hall. There's a place called the Blind Hall in Woolloongabba that was our our turf for putting on gigs, but. Um, as soon as we got an, on, uh, uh, an invitation to go to Sydney, we took it up. And uh, after a few uh, tours where we returned to Brisbane, then eventually we just stayed and uh, lived in Sydney from, yes, from early 83 to 95, I think it was. And I know a lot of stuff happened in between then and when you moved to Melbourne, but um, you moved to St Kilda in 95, yeah. was it? Yep. Yeah. Um, so what made you decide to move to St Kilda? Well, to be to be boring and pra- practical, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd like to tell the truth, um, I'd come to Melbourne through the 80s uh, on tour and, done, uh, and I'd done gigs all over town, but I'd never really understood where I was. <laughs> you know, um, you know, I never understood the layout of the city yeah. during the eighties. It wasn't until the early nineties that I sort of, you know, spent proper time here and understood, you know, the difference between, <laughs> you know, where the tote was. You know, it's in Collingwood, yeah. and yeah. and and and, the, you know, and these very well these venues that aren't there anymore. Like, I think there was was there a place called the the venue. The St. venue, Kilda. yes, yeah. Um, I remember that and the CV Ballroom. Of these course, yeah. These places. But, yeah, I started to get an understanding of, you know, where things, 
you know, were or, or where I was when I, <laughs> you know, like I, I used to come to places but I didn't understand the geography. Where they all were. And, uh, and it didn't really dawn on me until sort of, you know, the early 90s and, uh, okay, all right, this is St Kilda, that's Collingwood. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the far north, I, I, I knew nothing about the far north. Far north, yeah. Like Northcote was... Back back in those days, Northcote was one. Wow, where? <laughs> what? Nobody ever went that far. <laughs> so, now it's all the rage. Now they do. Yep. But yeah, when I started to uh, spend more time in Melbourne and the nucleus, like for instance, all the beasts of bourbon, they had been living in different parts of the country. So there was beast, the beasts were a Melbourne band, and even though we started. You know, in Sydney in '83, but uh, by the early '90s, it was very much Melbourne was our headquarters. Um, I was still with the Cruel Sea, and, and they were very much a Sydney band. But um, yes, yeah, St Kilda, I don't know, inevitably sort of became. Um, it felt like our turf, mm. and like in uh, like Charlie was living here, Ian Ryland, you just. Generally, a lot of a lot of uh, my people were living in St Kilda or the surrounding areas of Elwood and and Pran, and yeah, we've <laughs> we're very very much. Then, as time went on, I realised, all right, yeah, we're you know we're Southsiders and they're Northsiders, <laughs> <laughs> and I and I really began to see the great divide. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, and well, I went with it. I was very much a Southsider, and it's like I still am. Still am. Still am. So um, I don't know. I don't want to offend anyone, but it stinks up there. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you know, I know. The, I know the bay doesn't doesn't smell great all the time, but it has at least moments. At least there's a breeze. <laughs> at, least, at least the north side's just like wow. I guess it's got a lot of soul, but it's just. Uh, it's just kind of further north you go, the, I don't know, the more depressed I get. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> just looking at the buildings. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> All right. Um, sorry, I've gone too far No, now, no, I? that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> um, and what was, oh, uh, oh, you go. <laughs> oh, is this the sort of stuff you want? This is good. This is good. <laughs> um, and what was St Kilda like during the time you moved here? Uh, it was... It was a wonderland. Yeah. It really was. Um, the ESPY was especially our um, headquarters. <laughs> you could, uh, you could ent- we could enter it from the, you didn't have to come through. The, well, there was all these other entrances. It was like, it was like our, our per- own personal sort of clubhouse, this enormous clubhouse with all these different spaces and, and there was always gigs of somebody going on and I don't know, we just hang out there in general and yep. we'd eat there, <laughs> we'd play pool there, we'd go, you know, sit in the, sun, the sunset lounge and it really felt like the greatest pub in the world, yep. for, you know, in that period and we, and we genuinely loved the place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, the Star Wars, we, we've... Referred to it as the Star Wars bar, the the front the front right hand one, the, the the down the public bar. Yep, yep. It was you if you recall the the bar in Star Wars. 
<laughs> with with people with all these monsters with you know, like two heads and three eyes. And <laughs> that's what that bar that's was the like. Reference. Okay. <laughs> that's an interesting way of putting it. It was. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when you released your memoirs back in two thousand and seventeen which was a great read, by the way. Thank you. Um, I found a really interesting comment in there. Um, being from Sydney myself, you made a comment that where you said that um, Melbourne folk appear to be sort of culturally different to, mm. you know, Brisbane and Sydney. Oh, yeah. Um, very much so, yes. Yeah, as in, you know, they'd go to maybe a foot, footy game during the day and then see a band at night and or, that wasn't a clash. That was... Or literally go walk from the art gallery to the MCG. To, yeah, yeah. That's something that I found <laughs> quite fascinating as well. But, yeah, yeah, I, I grew up with... Well, very much when I started going into bands, it was like nobody ever talked of sport... <laughs> yeah, and actually, if it was like, what? Yeah, it was either <laughs> one or watched, the other, wasn't it? <laughs> you watched the tennis. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? You want to play football? What? What? You know. So there was a real. It was like just, and it just never came up. And you're like there was a scorn. You know, there was. It was either you're into the arts mm. and, and music and culture, or you're into sport. Yeah, Sydney was. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the that was the way in Brisbane too, and I guess it wasn't. I, again, it wasn't such an issue because you just never ran into it. They never yeah. really, honestly, the the twain never met, and it wasn't until during the ninety early nineties. I think it was the um, well for me, it was seeing the um, the photograph of Nikki Winmar, which. Sparked my interest, and I thought, "What, a, what an incredible photo!" And then I read the story, and then and I was a Nicky Winmar fan specifically. And uh, and then and then somebody told me that uh, about that Aussie rules has its roots in an Aboriginal sport called Mangrook, and that it's been been played for thousands of years. And I don't know, that just made me think, "Oh my God, this is." I, don't know, I, I was in, I was fascinated and and uh, and it seemed to be more than sport. Yeah. You know, with all with that background, I think you know, I think that those facts, the fact that it is such an it is an indigenous activity that goes back thousands of years, mm. and we still do it today. This kind of the same thing, running around, catching and, and kicking uh, this thing. It was. Back then, it was a, you know, a hide stuffed with you know grass, but uh, but now we still do it, and then it's, mm. it's something potentially so unifying about that yep. that um, we still haven't got right. Mm. But it's I don't know. It's also and also it's where you see proud black men. Yep. That was that was the the. The bottom, you know, the you know, the basis of my interest in that sport. Uh, to tell the truth, I'm not really interested in many other sports. <laughs> I like I like games. I like playing pool. I like um, um, silly games of gambling. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, like like not not proper gambling where you need a tab. Tab. Just I'll bet you. <laughs> that sort of gambling. One offs, surely. <laughs> but uh, or yeah. I do enjoy uh, table tennis. 
table tennis. <laughs> <laughs> and I do love the uh, the activity of going for a kick. Yep. It's I, it's akin. It's not. I don't actually enjoy the whole. Uh, I'm not. I'm too old or, or to actually play football, but I just love kicking a ball. It's it's similar to sort of I guess how people feel when they hit a golf ball properly. It's just it's a matter of sort of getting this technique together and just doing the thing correctly. It's it's a special little feeling that uh yeah maybe uh, mastering another skill or something. And uh, I'm not I don't want to have to fight. For, <laughs> I don't want to have to be kicked in the head or or elbow someone <laughs> out of the fingers. way to do it. I just like. <laughs> Kicking a ball, and I don't mind kicking it through goalposts too. That's one of my favourite. Um, it's all. It's very actually quiet, and yeah. there's not a lot of rah rah about it. It's a. It's a very quiet thing. Yeah. <laughs> kicking <laughs> when when I go for a kick. Going back to that comment about cultural, um, you know, the, Melbourne's culture. Do you think that that outlook that they that Melbourne people tend to have on you know doing various activities that you know might be unrelated, um, do you think that sort of led to maybe a more diverse range of mu- musical styles being accepted in Melbourne or St Kilda? Got to. Yeah. Got to have had. It's got to have had a, have a, um, yeah. Yeah. Also, yeah, just, just traditionally Melbourne's been a lot more resilient, you know, like I think with Sydney certain sort of trends have sort of taken over from others, so that's. You know, sort of, I'd rather have a DJ than a band, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. But I think Melbourne's been able to accommodate both those things. It's rather it's not one or the other. It's, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, everything, everything's welcome. You know, let's do that. Yeah, let's do that. sort of all considered art forms and. Yeah, so there's generally, generally, it, it's more accommodating to uh, all sorts of activities, you know, yeah. and entertainments and. And cultural sort of you know, activities of all kinds. Yep. Um, now, could you tell us about any special buildings in St Kilda from when you lived here? So maybe a place you lived in, or a hearst, or a venue. Oh well. Um, <clears throat> well, the, the SB was very helpful. Yep. We used to rehearse there. We, um, uh, very Charlie Owen and various other people had a house in Jackson Street and. Yep. Hell of a lot of rehearsals went on there. Yeah, I get told stories of uh, people that lived in Jackson Street, and they said, "Oh, we used to listen to you all the time. We loved your rehearsals." And like, <laughs> like, yeah, these people up and down Jackson Street that uh, yep. they could hear our rehearsals but wow. didn't mind. You know, it wasn't a situation of "Shut the hell up." <laughs> <laughs> so it was, uh, yeah, it was. Those, those sorts of, again, that sort of thing is kind of, you know, tolerated as long as it's not a, a ridiculous, you know, you know, really inconsiderate time of oh, day yeah. uh, and uh, really inappropriate, you know, yep. music. I don't know, maybe maybe those particular neighbours liked our particular music and, and, and <laughs> never complained. <laughs> but uh, a lot of, lot of, lot of places... Um, have a steep in history. Well, yeah. Fitzroy Street used to uh, have a lot more going for it, but uh, uh, Topolino's is still there. 
Yeah. <laughs> Topolino's. <laughs> a lot of has, artists have mentioned Topolino's. Has not changed a bit. Yep. They've still got that silly little piano with the statue of David out the back. <laughs> it's. it's <laughs> oh, and if I could tell you the stories of what happened behind that piano. It's <laughs> 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 uh, no, um, there was another place up, up further near the corner that was similar to Top, Topolino's. Not, is it Chichio? Is, is it Chichilina's that's in Oh, uh, that's Street? in Ackland Street. Chichilina's. Well, this is, this is a place called Chichio's. Chich- okay. It yeah. was another Italian place. Yep. But, uh, yeah, many, many messy nights there. <laughs> <laughs> Very... Very tolerant uh, uh, <laughs> people. That, the staff. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, Ian Ryland used to push, you know, push his push the limits of of, of their hospitality. <laughs> Bless him. Definitely. Um, and what impact did St Kilda have on you and your music? Well, as I say, it, it became sort of the nucleus of where we would. Well, a lot of us were living in through the nineties. And, uh, you know, I've never written a song uh, about or mentioning St Kilda, I don't think. <laughs> yep. But um, oh, I've mentioned Grey Street. Grey Street? <laughs> I've, I've, mentioned, <laughs> I've chucked Grey Street in there somewhere. Yeah. But, uh, but I don't know, just, but, yeah, it's just, uh, it was where, it's where we gathered, where we, um, where we lived, where we ate, where we... Um, where we rehearsed, where we, where we wrote music. Yep. So um, I can't think of a sort of a direct way you know, that it, you know, apart from that, that's where everything happened, everything happened. for us. Yeah. Um, and then on the other hand, what impact do you think you and your music had on St Kilda? Yes. Um, yes, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> we probably... Yes, I know. Yeah, <laughs> we probably hastened its demise. <laughs> Ask Fred Negro uh, oh. whether whether <laughs> whether uh, any of our haunts um, make his. Um, you know, he's got a he's got a um, a tour of St Kilda that he does. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> with, with special, he probably mentions Jackson Street. I'd say he'd go down Jackson Street and mention all the people that uh, that have lived in in this particular house. It's it's not far from Roland S Howard Lane. Yep. Okay. And uh, <laughs> but uh, I believe there's a campaign to get Spencer a, a, a lane. Oh. I think it's what we refer to. I'm I'm not sure. Yeah. But I think it's what we refer to as piss lane. There's <laughs> <laughs> a little, little narrow <clears throat> lane that connects Fitzroy Street to Jackson Street. Oh, and it's yep. right next to the bottle, I think. <laughs> yeah, yep. I, I and, yeah, can... it's where everyone goes to take a piss. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it so... would be, it'd be lovely if it got freshened up. <laughs> And, uh, it would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. But, yeah, if Spencer doesn't get you know, pissed lane, I'll, I'll take it. You'll take when, it? When I, when I go. Because <laughs> I'll probably piss there more than anybody. I've got, got a very touchy bladder. <laughs> All right. 
And um, I guess taking the question, or not really off the music path, but um, speaking about the impact that you might have had on St Kilda, you played a very unique role in Saving the Palais back in 2014. Mm. Can you tell <laughs> us a bit about that? Okay. Well, I've just quietly loved the Palais forever, ever since I saw it. It's just one of those big, impressive buildings and and even without sort of looking into its history, you know, which is, has an incredible, you know, so many great artists have played there, you know, you know. I didn't even know any of this. I just loved its physical presence mm. in St Kilda right next to Luna Park. It just makes sense to me. Those two buildings, they're just, I don't know. They're, they're both incredibly old and they've both sort of, you know, had people going, oh, let's get rid of it. <laughs> you know, let's get rid of that. Let's get rid of, you know, Luna Park. Oh, who wants Luna Park? But these, I don't know, I love these things. Yeah. Even though it's like, even though I hadn't, I loved the Palais for like 20 years before I even walked in the door. Yeah. You know, I'd, <laughs> it's not something where they, I've seen wonderful artists you know, and have great memories. Of it. It's I just walk past it all the time. It's a beautiful building just to and, walk past, isn't it? Yeah. But anyway, uh, about, when was it, 2013, I was, I was back living in Melbourne for a couple of years and, of course, living in St Kilda. Oh, that's another thing. I, the reason I sort of eventually became truly connected because I, I, I bought a flat in St Kilda. And, yeah. And I still have that flat. But anyway, I was living in the flat again during uh, 2013 and there was a campaign. Well, the Palais itself was uh, covered in uh, scaffolding and, and, and canvas or hessian. It, it, uh, it, was, it was surrounded by this material mm-hmm. in order to stop bits falling off the building and <laughs> killing people. So anyway, the building was in was way overdue for a basic just basic maintenance inside and outside. Fortunately and unfortunately the building is heritage listed, so it's owned by the state government. So the proprietor whoever's using the building doesn't quite doesn't have the rights to do anything to it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, absolute neglect from government after government after government. A campaign was started that saved my palais, and it was just one of your usual social media sort of you know, get a picture taken with "Save My Palais" written on a card. And, there was lobbyists employed. There were, you know, campaigns. You know, um, the Rolling Stones were approached when 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 they toured. I think I think 2013, or, or they put up a big <laughs> projection of the Palais and said, "We love this building. We played here in 1964. Please, you know, whoever's in charge, <laughs> mm, <laughs> let's save something. this building." Mm. Still nothing. Mm. Not a budge, not a wind, not a squeak. Mm. So anyway, um, the guy that started this campaign was one of the councillors named Serge Tolman, mm-hmm. and he came up with one of these ideas which can ca- be categorised as so crazy it just might work. 
and anyway, there was a lot of infighting between people and a lot of sort of, oh, yeah, you can't trust them and, you know, in, in, in that scene in the sort of local government scene in St Kilda and the council and, and a lot of suspicion about people's motives and uh, it was all very messy. So like Serge's idea was that somebody run in in the coming up state government with one policy, a one policy candidate, you know, fund the Palais. Mm. And he said, you wouldn't even have to win. All you need to do is, you know, basically what, what the plan is, is you run, you get a lot of publicity really quickly, you scare the shit out of, <laughs> hopefully, Martin Foley. Yep who was the incumbent with a percentage that was like half a percent. So any vote shifting is going to, you know, be significant. So anyway, we, I go, uh, this is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, I, I, I said that to my or my bandmates at the time. I said, <laughs> I mean, I can run in the state election. And they went, oh, sounds like a and nobody sort of said, that's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> so so, so, there, um, so I went, well, oh, oh, maybe. So I, maybe I should. So I agreed to do it. And, yeah, as soon as I announced my can- candidacy, we also got the front page of The Age. <laughs> There's me, front page, Palais behind me. And so the next minute, next day, um, the phone starts ringing. <laughs> yeah. I met with all the other candidates. Basically, it was you know, it was the worst thing that could possibly have happened is that I won. <laughs> so it was it was really about sort of strong arming. You know, we wanted Martin Foley to win. Yeah, but um, yeah, I, I did talk to oh, the Liberals and talked to the Greens. I talked to everybody, you know, about their attitude towards it. The Greens were right on board. The Liberals wouldn't didn't want to. They were nice enough, but they didn't want to know. Yeah. So it was really up to me making a deal with Martin Foley. And, and to tell the truth, he wanted he wanted this. He wa- So even though I'd kind of strong-armed him, the idea was he takes on my policy and makes me redundant. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the plan. So, but and then he looks like the good guy. And what... He actually wanted to do this, and my pressure on him, he went back to his party and said, "We need to, we need to do this." Yep. You know because this is happening. So yeah. that's when they started started to take it seriously. He comes back to me. We make a deal. They they promise thirteen million, and uh, I just back off. Yeah. <laughs> and the uh, and then the Labor Party take on the policy. There's all sorts of sort of. Things that aren't people aren't happy with, you know, who's running the place now. But um, my attitude was, I I want that building yeah, <laughs> to yeah, remain. Well I mean, yeah, who's running the place is 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 a is an issue for some people. It it's the only venue of its type. It's That's the right. only it's it's almost three thousand three thousand seats, and it's the only one. Of yeah. that size, so that it it really does uh, serve a particular purpose to yeah. the music industry, and also people that criticised me uh, couldn't get it into their heads that it's not just about that building. When that building is full of those people, they're all going to the bars, the cafes, and restaurants around St Kilda. 
Yeah. So that is our industry. That's right. That's yep. our industry. It's not we're not a fucking, you know, car factory. We're an entertainment district. Yep. So you, you you need people to come to shows and then eat yep. and drink. So That's um right. So anyway, it it worked it out. It worked. <laughs> yeah, well done. <laughs> That's great. And then my last question, um, why do you feel the suburb of St Kilda is so important for live music? Well, it's gone through its struggles there. We've had great venues just disappear in the, in the night. <laughs> um, I know we need meet, meet, we need we need live music everywhere. Mm. As a performer, I can. Uh, it's, Melbourne's the only city I've been able to do. If you play in the north, you know, you can you can do a similar thing in the south, and you can go west and east. You know, you go, you know, drive, you know, 45 minutes that way, you're getting a whole different crowd. Mm. You know, it, you can actually play uh, all, all over. So, um, yeah, I'll just see St Kilda, even though I love St Kilda and it's my turf and it's even my team. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and it's where I meet my friends, you know, for breakfast. Uh, I'm not telling you where that is because it's fucking too crowded anyway. I'd <laughs> <laughs> um, either just see St Kilda playing its role in in that whole picture. The whole picture, excellent. Tex, thank you so much for coming into the studio today. My pleasure. It was, su- it was such a pleasure to hear what you have to say about our beloved St Kilda. Uh, I really love that you have such an appreciation for our history and you've used your musical background to help preserve buildings like the Palais. Wishing you well for wherever your music takes you to next. Oh, thank you, Sally. Thank you. It was good to talk to you. Thank you. I hope I didn't swear too much. <laughs> <All good. laughs> Just bleep it out. <laughs> thank you all for joining me for another discussion about what makes St Kilda such a great place to be. We've had artists from a range of musical styles come in and share their stories with us, and it's awesome to know that St Kilda has played a part in who they are today. Join me for more episodes soon. You're going home in the back of a This podcast was recorded on the land of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to thank the St Kilda Historical Society and its committee for the opportunity to carry out this project and for all their support along the way. The Historical Society does a lot of work throughout the year to preserve the history of our local area and make it accessible for all. Members pay $20 a year to join and receive three newsletters per year full of information and great stories. They have events throughout the year, including local history walks, talks and presentation of new research. See their website, stkildahistory.org.au, for more information. Our local council, the City of Port Phillip, does so much to support the magnificent arts here in St Kilda. A big thank you to the council for their funding in this podcast series as part of their Cultural Development Fund. Thank you for seeing the value of this project and, in particular, thank you to Sharon Dawson for your guidance along the way. We look forward to seeing the other projects from this round of funding come to fruition as well. Sending out a big thank you to the animals for their assistance with the promotional side of this project. The animals are a one-stop shop for advertising, brand building and idea generation and have collaborated with many companies both here in Melbourne and around Australia. See their website, theanimals.com.au, for more. 
The Unplugged in St Kilda podcast was recorded at Big Ears Audio, 97 Wellington Street, St Kilda. I'd like to take a moment to thank Tony, Adrian, Laz and their team for doing such a brilliant job recording, editing and producing the series and for their professional advice along the way. And last but not least, I'd like to thank my wonderful volunteers who helped me put this series together, all the artists who gave their time for interviews and to you, the listener, for joining me. I've had a great time creating this project and I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you.